0: Welcome to another edition of Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula. I am talking with my guy Jake and we are going to do a weekly kind of recap and I guess analysis of the 10 part The Last Dance documentary on the 97-98 Chicago Bulls. The episodes one and two drop tonight, and so we will be giving you our thoughts on those. Obviously, if you haven't seen it, you should probably watch it before listening, because I'm not going to recap the entire episode. Just kind of our thoughts on the highlights and that kind of thing. So, uh, right off the bat, did you? Were you? Surprised by anything in the documentary? Did you enjoy the first couple episodes? What what were your just general thoughts about the documentary itself?
1: Well, for me, like leading up to this, this was I mean, there like, was a lot of hype. A lot there was a hype. lot of hype. This was about the only good thing to happen for me personally since like March seventh. Um, <laughs> so okay. sure, this had a lot of uh, had large shoes to fill, and uh, I was really, I was just, I was glued for two straight hours just glued to the tv
0: so is it what you expected it to be because obviously the focus is you know the last dance the last season that michael jordan um scotty pippen and phil jackson were all together i guess Mm -hmm. you can throw rodman in that group too but um those really main guys that had been there through all six championships that's the last season is the focus um but we got a lot of other stuff in it as well. Is that what you were expecting? Is that what you wanted? Like, what were your thoughts on how the first couple episodes went Uh, that way?
1: So, I mean, going up to it, like, I read several articles, like, kind of trying to hint at what this was going to be, and it seemed to be pointing at, well, they had all this film from the 97-98 season um, that existed and was only allowed to be used if and when Michael Jordan said it could be used. That was the whole...
0: Yeah, that he basically old, had final cut.
1: Like that was his whole thing. He's like, "You guys like he had to sign off it, on it, but you can't use it until I, until or even if I want you to." Um, and that was the only reason he let him get so close, which is cool. So I guess I, I did personally expect it to be almost exclusively ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, but I am really pleasantly surprised they're doing so much build up and background info because, um, you know. it's it's boosting my own understanding of it and for people that definitely have uh even more limited understanding they would need this to appreciate what's going to happen in 97 98
0: yeah i mean so i i i expected them to go pretty in depth into everything just because like the context is pretty important to what that last season was Mm -hmm. Um, and they've got you know they've got all this archive footage of whether it's Um, old interviews or nba games from you know michael jordan's entire career and it it's not a michael jordan documentary obviously he's one of the central figures because he's the best basketball player ever and he it was on that team so like obviously he's gonna take like a large like portion of the uh of the time but I think a lot of the context is important, especially when it comes to, and we'll get to this in a little bit, the Jerry Krause stuff, but also just, I mean, you were born in 93. Yes. So you're five in this last season. Yes. Fair to say you were not, like, actively aware of all the machinations, even if you watch the games, which because I can remember, I remember watching John Paxson hit the shot in 93. Like, I remember that, and I was Mm -hmm. about the same age, in 93 as you were in 98 i was a little older like six months older and so i even though i remember seeing that shot and you may remember a moment or so from the 97 98 season probably fair to say you don't have like the larger context and larger picture of everything that was happening right
1: right yeah so i i mean i think that's that's the key here is like People say, well, The Last Dance, why was this The Last Dance? Oh, that's what this documentary is going to explain to you. Like, there's so much more going on than basketball. Like, Michael Jordan retired young for a second time as a result of all this. You know, uh, Scottie Pippen, who was traded for and won six titles in Chicago, wants nothing to do with them. We don't see stuff like that. Like, there's definitely the -the behind-the-scenes stuff that, I mean, I think the common fan was aware of um, maybe not the common fan but you know what i'm saying like just people that were like wow michael jordan's amazing that guy that person probably doesn't understand the context of the 97 98 season
0: well and it's funny that you kind of mentioned that because allegedly i read an article and i don't know if it's true or not but allegedly michael jordan finally signed off on this after LeBron won his title in Cleveland so 2016
1: I read that article as well
0: and so it was it almost feels like it's a, okay the young ones need reminded cuz after that finals there was a lot of like oh LeBron's the goat talk going around and it felt like Michael's like okay remind them remind the young ones who is the GOAT?
1: Well, and allegedly that was the sales pitch to him to finally sign off on this version of the doc with this uh, director and, and this group. And um yeah, I think it might work. <laughs> it does um, feel that way.
0: <laughs> so that kind of leads me into one of the other things I wanted to talk about before we get into some of the main talking points from the first two episodes was just seeing what really stuck out to me uh, was just like watching some of the random highlights of Michael Jordan that they just like toss in there as filler basically when between while people are talking. And they're like, oh yeah, Michael Jordan did this amazing thing. And then they show video of him doing it. And you're just like, that's just like a random Tuesday, you know? And yeah, I remember, so <laughs> this is kind of, it kind of goes along. It's kind of a random story, but I remember sitting in the cafeteria at NCC, May she rest in peace, that uh, with like Al and Josh and I think Dud, who are my buddies from college, that you've heard on this on previous podcasts. But we were watching like NBA hardwood classics or something, and it was some random Bulls game, um, late '80s, I think. I think it was like '88, '89, somewhere in there. And this is just some random, I believe it was a regular season game. I was on NBA Hardwood Classic, so obviously something happened. And I don't know if it was like a high-scoring Jordan game or something like that. But it was just a random, it wasn't a final, it was just a random game. And we only caught probably a half hour of this random game. And in a play that didn't even count, Michael Jordan got fouled before the shot. And he's like at the free throw line and just throws it backwards behind his head because he had gotten spun around on the foul. And it just goes in and nobody says (laughs) anything about it. And it's some random game from like 1988. And he did things that were just so spectacular so regularly that the commentators didn't mention it. And we saw it didn't even I mean, it didn't even count. It was before the foul or was after the foul. And we just happened to catch it in some random game. That we saw on NBA Hardwood Classics. And it wasn't even, like, the reason it was a Hardwood Classic. Like, it was – and to me, like, that moment kind of just encapsulated – this was just the everyday for Michael Jordan was he would do things that you'd be like, wait, did that – did anybody else just see that? And it was – that's just – that's just what his career was for, you know, 14 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's absurd i mean i just they, they show the boston game where it's like he I drops. 40. The,
0: the 63 in game two the like just seeing all those highlights was yeah,
1: like, well, is crap man we talk about the 63 in game two and people are like that was incredible you know that's that's a that's an all-timer and stuff and it's like he also scored 49 in game one on <laughs> this and no oh, one cares no one, <laughs> no one horrible team dude doesn't shoot threes he goes sixteen of eighteen from the line. So we're talking and that sixty-three pointer, sixteen of eighteen from the line. We're talking about like I mean, do the math seven I
0: mean, points on twos.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, in I guess they, he probably had to have A3 in there somewhere to make them the math work.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then he I mean, and, and you look at the lineup of the Celtics who won sixty seven games, I think I saw that year.
0: Yeah, and that, the eighty six Celtics are one of like our an all-time team. Yeah, like, you so take eight a team from a single season, 67 Celtics is in the conversation.
1: You mean the 80, 86 Celtics, 67 yeah. wins. You said the 67
0: Celtics. Oh, yeah, my bad. The 86 Celtics had 67 yeah. wins, and they... You put them in the conversation for just, like, the best, like, single-season team. Uh, certainly until the Bulls won 96 and the Warriors kind of went on their most recent run. That was one of the best teams we had ever seen was that 86 Celtic team. And, you know, you, you you talk about the guys, Bird, McHale, Parrish. People forget, like, a mostly healthy Bill Walton was on that team, uh, DJ. Like, all those guys, you got four Hall of Famers and then two really good NBA players, in an Ainge and, and uh, Dennis Johnson. And Dennis Johnson was a defensive – he was one of the best defenders in the league and just nobody could do anything on him.
1: He just got torched – in all two nights, and a Thursday <laughs> night, and coming back Sunday. <laughs> it was a Saturday or Sunday, whatever, torched again. And you just go, whoa. Like, he was playing 14 minutes a game because he begged to get some limited minutes off the injury. He comes off a 14 minutes game, comes out, plays like almost the entire game of a playoff game, and just works one of the best teams of all time. Like so,
0: that, unbelievable. It is unbelievable, and that fourteen minutes a game leads one. That kind of leads me into the Jerry Krause thing. So, so before so I wanna... you get there, yeah, just
1: just to finish off that point, like I know that, and we'll probably get back to this. I, I assume we will, based on some of the footage that I, I have to assume is coming. But people say that if social media existed in the nineties, it would have ruined Jordan because of his reputation, all the things he did off the court. But I'm also going to go out here and say if social media existed in the 90s, we wouldn't even be having a GOAT conversation because it would be so clearly him. Like if you saw the highlights night in and night out from him on your phone like this, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
0: Because we're also talking about, I mean, half of his career kind of comes before, at least half, comes before like the real prominent ESPN era. Yeah. Because that kind of kicks in around the mid
1: 90s. Right. So, I mean, we're relying on WGN Chicago to help us out here. Like, yeah, I don't have a lot of faith in that.
0: I don't either. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned the 14 minute a night restriction when he comes back from the yeah. broken foot. Um, and Jordan, it says in the documentary that that's where his split with Jerry Krause started. It was because Jordan felt like he could play and Kraus just didn't care, even if it came to putting him in for 12 seconds to take a game-winning shot or whatever that would get him in the playoffs. Like, Kraus was saying no, and, and Jordan just wanted to play. And
1: so it was Reinsdorf, to be Yes, Yes. Reins- Reinsdorf was not interested.
0: And so... But the reason... So the reason I believe that was way more about the draft pick than it was Michael's foot was because as soon as the playoff starts, the restrictions are gone. Yeah. That's the part where it's like, okay, like, Michael has a point here. You know, because it's really easy to be like, oh, a guy just wants to play, he gets frustrated. A lot of guys rush back from injury when they shouldn't. Um, You know, he was playing basketball down at University of North Carolina when he probably shouldn't have been and during his rehab or whatever. So you're like, oh, I can kind of see the management point of view. And then you hear that and, you know, maybe the doctor was right. Like maybe the 10% that he could re injure it and his career would be over is not worth it. But the fact that they went from 14 minutes a night to unrestricted playoff minutes means that that is not the reason that they were having the restriction.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we could, maybe there was some of that, especially as far as like the, Hey, the re injury risk is a huge issue here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it seems pretty plain that the, uh, the idea that they were trying to sit him to get uh, move up in the lottery um, really violated Michael's idea of competition in general and rubbed him just, you know, the wrong way. And that's, I mean, in his second year, that's probably not, not a great move.
0: So here's, let's just get into the whole Jerry Krause thing now. I have to admit, like young Jerry Krause was good at his job, and I don't know how much ah. there is around that because so, he pulls off the Scottie Pippen trade.
1: So they didn't really give me a context. Did you look up what was the Scotty Pippen trade? Like what I was? I believe
0: it? it was Olden Polynes um, was the main part of that trade. I'll look it up right now. But regardless. You got Scottie Pippen back, so you won the trade,
1: right? I mean, I get like we say that now. At the time, did it seem like, hey, that's a pretty fair trade? You know what I'm saying? Like,
0: that's that. That doesn't matter though. That doesn't matter
1: because it oh, matters, matters a little bit. Because no, because what quest-
0: matters is he identified because if you and they didn't get too much into it, but if you go into the if you go into the like history of, of Jerry Krause scouting, Scottie Pippen, is he found him and was so convinced that he was going to be incredible in the NBA that he was basically willing to do anything to acquire him. And he was trying to keep him under the radar as much as he could, and it just didn't work because he got too good. But the, the point is... He believed that Scottie Pippen was that good. So regardless of what he gave up for him, like, you get what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, no, I get what you're saying there. This I just think results also what matter
0: about a trade.
1: Like, there's trades
0: that are defendable in the moment. Like it's defendable for Portland to select Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan in the moment. It's defendable. They had Clyde Drexler. People weren't doing the positionless basketball thing yet. Sam Bowie as a big guy made sense, but it's the results that matter.
1: Right. Well, I think part of the only reason I bring that up is because, I mean, is he, he didn't draft Jordan. So does he get, does he get a little lucky with Scotty and then basically not know how to do his job for the rest of his life? Because even after this whole thing, he was not good at his job. Like their rebuild was heinous.
0: It was, I I will give you credit. The, The rebuild was heinous. But that's what I'm saying. Young Jerry Krause, I think, was good at his job. Because, okay, so the trade was Pippen. uh, It was Pippen for Polonese and future draft pick options. Um, So there must have been some uh, language in there that made that more complicated in terms of what picks they actually got. Um, But in that same draft, they also picked Horace Grant, who became a huge part of their first three-peat. And Sneaky was a really big part of that young Magic team that got dismantled when Shaq left.
1: And didn't he also make an appearance on the late 90s? Later? He did. Phil Jackson liked him a lot. So, so they brought him back. I mean, Horace Grant so was a good Horace player. Horace Grant's
0: a, big, a huge pick, especially at number 10. Like, you're not guaranteed to get a good player at 10. Sure. And he made he got Horace Grant and Scottie Pippen in the same draft. Like, that's the first three-peat right there.
1: Yeah, that's a. I mean, those are big pickups. Yeah. Now listen, it's
0: it's a lot easier when you already have Michael Jordan in place.
1: <laughs> that's the.
0: But we've seen how hard like people had LeBron James and Cleveland couldn't figure it out. Miami figured it out because they the players figured it out for him, Right? They were like, "Hey, yeah. we're all gonna play together." And then the first year they still couldn't get the role players right. And then his first year. In LA, they couldn't figure it out. For a lot of his time in the second stint in Cleveland, they couldn't really figure it out. So having the guy yes is a huge first step in the right direction, but there's a lot of other steps that still have to occur.
1: No, that's true. And I'm not trying to like just say you know that Krause was always bad at his job, but I do want. I mean, I, if we're going to be evaluate him, like I do want to make sure that we look at it all the way through. Like the Scotty, the Scotty move and the Horse Grant pick. Um, make him look like he's very competent, at least early.
0: Well, and then you've got, I mean, he does acquire, um, he was obsessed with Tony Kukoc, who maybe wasn't as good as he thought he was going to be, but still was a like key contributor on the second Pete.
1: Yeah, the Tony Kukoc stuff is kind of where he starts to fall off because um, people can look at it and say, well, he was ahead of his time, but in all reality... Kraus thought Kukoc was going to be the best player on that team, and Scotty and Michael hated him for it even more. And Kukoc well, was not the best player on that team.
0: Was mo- it, That was more about, that was about the money. The money that he gave Kukoc instead of giving that money to Pippen. That's what really kind of turned the tide against Kukoc. But if you take Kukoc for what he was, he was an important part of the second three-piece. So he was. He was a good basketball player. He just wasn't, you know, Dirk. Although Kukoc probably plays way better in today's game. But. Well, that's
1: the thing is people will argue he's ahead of his time um, with that, but I'm again I'm like I'm not one hundred percent convinced Kraus knew exactly what he was doing. It's just sometimes you can make moves look better or worse as time moves on, right?
0: So, and the other thing is like you know he acquires Steve Kerr, which was an important role player on not just mm-hmm. Bulls but also Spurs uh, championships. Um, he acquires Ron Harper, who was uh, pretty good with the Clippers, but was a point guard defender type that didn't need the ball. Um, so like he did, I thought he did a really good job around, uh, of acquiring guys that fit well around Jordan, at least early
1: and it's in early too. He had a really good relationship with Phil Jackson and Phil Jackson, um, helped a lot with that because he could piece together the personality types, and so he found good fits. And that was a big part of I've read uh, some of Phil Jackson's uh, books and things, and that was a big part of what he talked about, is they worked together to get some of these correct players and pieces and get the most out of them. They they Popoviched him a little bit and said, okay, Harper, you're not this great scorer, but you don't have to be. So exert all your energy playing defense and then just make the – dead wide open shot that you need to every once in a while, you know?
0: Um, so they well, tried and to, they make had to find steps. guys that could handle Jordan's personality. Sure. Oh, that's a was big part. It's it. a big part. Easy task.
1: And Krause was not alone in that. And so when Krause was working with everybody, yeah, he was good at his job. So that problem becomes when he starts to think he's too good for everybody.
0: And that's where I wanted to get to was the ego. hmm That plays into jerry Krause because i've done i've read i mean we're both like michael jordan obsessive right so and yes like we've both read like multiple jordan or phil jackson or bulls dynasty books yes um and a lot of the guys that you see in the documentary as being interviewed whether it's sam smith or some of these other guys have written some of those books um so you're getting just kind of like extra source material and they might get to some of this stuff here but And they talked about this earlier is Krauss had kind of that. He wanted the credit so badly. Uh And a lot of that's because of like, you know, his appearance and his like time growing up and everything. But he genuinely believed he was just as he was as important to the dynasty, if not more important to the dynasty than Michael Jordan. And obviously that's just not true. Correct. And so the ego to even think that's true much less try and get other people to believe it, much less try and operate the franchise as if that's true, is uh, it would be laughable if it weren't so sad. (laughs) Right? Because that's basically, and I think we'll get to this, his ego and his refusal to keep Phil Jackson around, which he knew meant not keeping Michael Jordan around, basically had pushed Michael Jordan into retirement. Yeah. I mean, the lockouts a factor there too because there's a huge lockout the next year also. So right. that's also a factor. The labor unrest in general in the league was also a factor, but you can make the argument that Jerry Krause's ego forced Michael Jordan out of the league.
1: Oh, absolutely. Forced his hand.
0: And yeah. that's a million percent unforgivable.
1: <laughs> like you just like <laughs> he cost us so much.
0: He cost us at least like Two, because can you imagine him coming back in '99 on an abbreviated schedule, only have to play like 50 games, didn't have to put all the like, you know, get a fresh leg Michael Jordan at age 36, because like he was still getting buckets with the Warriors or with the Wizards. He was less efficient, I'll give you that, but he also hadn't played in three years almost. Yes. So if like '99, 2000, Jordan still would have been pretty good.
1: We're talking ninety-eight, yeah, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, and ninety-nine, two thousand Jordan, both very good. Uh, with uh, you assume if Jordan stays, that means Scotty gets to stay because they're going to keep running this thing back. Well, until I don't
0: market. think they were ever paying Scotty. That's part of the problem.
1: Well, that's part of the problem, but I mean, but that's that all goes into his ego thing. Of, well, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. If he was, if he wanted, if he would put himself aside, he could have gotten all these guys back. He could have got Phil back. He could have got Michael back. He could have so, got Scotty back. He could have got every role player ever back.
0: I think Jerry Krause is going to look really bad by the end of this because that's what the facts of the situation lay out. I just wanted to acknowledge because we haven't gotten all those facts yet, although <laughs> some of the stuff that that we're aware of, and that a lot of people are aware of especially yeah. people that lived through it and were older, that there was a time where he was very good at his job.
1: Well, and that's, that's interesting because, I mean, this blew my mind, is that he was a baseball scout and was tight enough with Reinsdorf that he's like, hey, I want to come do basketball now. And he was like, oh, yeah, okay. So, so they like, kind of blew what? over that. He was a baseball scout,
0: but he was also a basketball scout. He had a more prominent role in the baseball side of things, but he had been scouting basketball for Reinsdorf for a long time also, or for the Bulls. Like, he was not a complete novice in basketball going into asking for the GM job.
1: Yeah, I just think, I was just like sitting there going, wow, that's incredible to be this split-timer scout, and all of a sudden you walk into somebody's office who's bought two teams in Chicago, and you're like, I want to be the general manager of your team, and the guy's like, yeah, you got it, buddy. (laughs) <laughs> well, you also have it. It's
0: first of all, it's an incredible flex. That's
1: what I'm Se- saying. Secondly, you also have to
0: kind of remember, like, that probably, like, I'm sure it was a good paying job, but it wasn't an awesome paying job in the mid '80s, and Chicago was a dumpster fire. When I get, what,
1: I get all of that, you know what I'm I mean? just saying, like the cojones on this dude. Oh, right? for sure. He's well, we like, already said that we, he yeah. believes he was more important to the Bulls than Jordan. <laughs> like They're <laughs> not in question. <laughs> uh, I, I forgot you had a brand named after you, too, buddy.
0: <laughs> it's a brand of ill-fitting slacks, I think, based on what we've seen so far.
1: There's a lot of ill-fitting stuff in the 90s. I can't just isolate it to him, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> That's true. I think because of his body type, it might just look worse on him than everyone else. But I will say...
1: That's 100% accurate. I will,
0: I will say the suits in the 90s are just really offensive.
1: They're really large.
0: Yes. <laughs> Especially the jackets. The jackets are
1: so long. Well, not only that, it's like they haven't figured out how to tailor anything yet. So Scotty Pippen's like this very fit dude, and he's wearing this jacket that looks like it could like hide peak sylvester not even sylvester bliss like peak some giant person under it like it's huge
0: <laughs> well that i mean part of it's that's the style so i think they were tailored to be fair they were just tailored we're to fitted.
1: a yeah, really they're...
0: gross style
1: yeah it's bad
0: um <laughs> i will say basketball players because how tall they are often look kind of awkward but we've seen now you can look like a normal person in a suit regardless of how tall you are.
1: Yeah. No. And yeah. I mean, well, because you saw the some of the suits that Mike, suits that Michael was wearing in that eighty-five uh, season when he's sitting on the bench look better than the suits that those. Yeah, guys they're are
0: a lot more
1: fitting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was a bad stylistic choice. <laughs> it was.
0: It, it was. That's true. That's that is kind of a side note. Um. Not so true. we're talking about the crowd stuff and we mentioned Scottie pippen i do want to get to Scottie pippen being and this is more about stuff that kind of came out in the, the episodes i don't know if it came out like i mean people knew it happened but that was covered in the episodes tonight where yep. it was well known that that scotty pippen was wildly underpaid right um what i didn't realize was why he was so desperate to have long-term security when he was talking about his family situation
1: yeah i i do have an understanding of how this came about now cuz i mean i knew it makes he was hated unhappy right? but it makes way more sense of to why and how at this point yeah cuz in
0: previous things that i had read it kind of painted him as like this Naive kid from Arkansas who was just like, Oh, shucks, I'm just happy to be in the league. I'll sign whatever. Like, that's kind of the impression that it gave, where it was like, Okay, actually, no, he's got two family members in wheelchairs and he's, you know, got 11 brothers and sisters. And, you know, I can't even imagine what the place his parents were living in looked like in Hamburg, Arkansas. And so you're like, Okay, that makes a little more sense why he was so eager to lock up. Long term money.
1: Right. Because that's, I mean, that's what it comes down to is in 90, 1991, essentially, he signs a seven year, $18 million deal. And of course, we scoff at it now, but in 1991, it sounds like that wasn't a wild number, but the market blows up. Especially in professional sports.
0: Well, especially right in professional
1: basketball. Professional because basketball. Because
0: of what him and Michael Jordan do. Like, that's right. the ironic part of it.
1: So they blow this thing up, and now that number is just, is just grossly underpaying. But he thought at the time, he's like, I'm, signing, I'm locking up long-term money for family financial security. And it wasn't a bad number. But by the time that contract is up, the CBA and everything is so different.
0: Everything had changed so much by the time... Right. Because Michael Jordan was making 30 million each of the last couple years he was with the Bulls because he kept signing these one-year deals. Uh Because Michael Jordan was underpaid for a while as well. Right. And then he just cashed in at the end, signing these huge one-year deals. Uh, And it's... You understand the place that Scottie Pippen was coming from when he signed the deal a lot more. But... You get to the stuff in 97-98 with the ankle surgery, and you understand his frustration. You understand why he's upset with the team. But that is a really tough look where he just freely admits, yeah, I didn't want the surgery to mess up my summer. I wanted to have a good time. I'll rehab on their time and get the surgery when the season starts. Like, that's a pretty tough look for my guy.
1: Yeah. Um, and I'm a Scottie Pippen guy. I'm going to say the fact that Michael Jordan still has nice things to say about him says a lot about him. Because yeah. that
0: feels like something that Michael Jordan would not forgive.
1: It feels like something where Michael Jordan maybe should have gotten him traded anyway. <laughs> yeah like LeBron James for sure trade Scotty Pippen at that point like he's not having that for I'll sure. tell you that right now yeah. um so yeah I that was I did not realize that either I was I knew he was hurt that season I was under the impression he was hurt that season not that I... he took and took it off
0: I knew that he had delayed surgery. I didn't know, A, it was to that extent, and B, that he was so blatant about being like, yeah, I didn't want it to mess up my summer, and I wanted to basically flip the bird to Krause in management. Like, that's a tough look.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not... That's not something that you can get away with now when that stuff comes out publicly, you know what I mean? For like-
0: sure. And then... And I did not know this. I didn't know that he demanded a trade.
1: Yeah, see, I was too young to catch that stuff, you know, like in the news side of it. I mean, I I watched him on the court, but I didn't pick up on any of the stuff behind the scenes. So I didn't realize that he also now tried to make the flex, just like, just get me out of here.
0: And like, I remember between the 97 championship and the start of the 97-98 season, I remember because... You know, I was 10 at this point and I was obsessed with sports and like I read the sports page every day and if there was anything Uh I cared about, I read those articles, whatever. So I remember there being issues in terms of whether or not the team was coming back in 97, 98 as it was constructed. I did not realize that Scottie Pippen had demanded a trade and I really didn't realize because I was a kid the extent to which Jerry Krause wanted to rebuild. Because as a kid, I'm like, oh, they just won the championship. It's Michael freaking Jordan. Yeah, they're going to bring them all back, you know. But it seemed like, and this is where that ego comes in for Krause again, he really wanted to prove he could do it again without Michael Jordan. Spoiler alert, he couldn't. Um, And then also, yeah, the the trade demand kind of caught me off guard.
1: Yeah, I just, I miss that. I mean, I'd known that the trade stuff had circulated around Scotty. I just, it, everything else. I knew else,
0: the team had tried to trade him a couple times.
1: Yeah, it just seemed like, uh, it didn't seem like it really uh, originated with him. Um, but now to hear it like, so plainly, yeah. You know, you know, they said he demanded one. Um, it's really interesting. I'm kind of curious on who exactly then, Stopped it because Kraus wanted to trade him and he wanted to trade. So somebody in this Reinsdorf, Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan circle has to come in and, and stop this whole mess.
0: Well, and you wonder, it's, you know, obviously Reinsdorf stepped in and made sure Phil got signed for 97, 98. So you wonder if it's a Reinsdorf play. The other possibility is, I believe it was like 94, the Bulls were on it. It might, it must have been right after, so maybe 95. It was right after Jordan came back. Uh-huh. I believe it was either right before he left or right after he came back. I, I don't remember which, but there was a trade basically in place, agreed to in principle, of Scottie Pippen for Sean Kemp.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And basically, I believe as the story goes, Michael put the kibosh on it. He was just like, nope, not happening. So I don't know if he still carried that juice in ninety-eight with Reinsdorf. Or if because everything was coming to an end, it had to come from Reinsdorf to uh put the the to to nix that. I have to imagine it wasn't Phil Jackson because everybody knew it was his last year.
1: Yeah, I think um just thinking back to that Phil Jackson book, I mean, he touches on this part of the season. Um, and I think that there's I think that there was like a consensus between Phil and Michael that they wanted to finish this thing out and they went to Scotty and said, Hey, we want it we want you to finish this out with us and then we'll figure it all out and I think that probably means they go to Reinsdorf and say, Hey, don't let Kraus pull the trigger. Yeah. Like Scotty's
0: on board, we got Scotty on board, don't let him pull yeah, the trigger. We'll talk
1: him down. Don't let talk Krauss down and keep him the heck away from (laughs) Scotty the next six months. (laughs) Uh, And watching the video of Kraus riding that team bus is just baffling because you hear him. They they make fun of him constantly. Like, why would he even want to be around that? Like, (laughs) take a car, man. (laughs) Like, what
0: are you doing? Well, it's weird anyway because I don't think general managers typically do that. I know they don't now.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it was like then if, like, the general managers traveled with the team more, like, what their responsibilities were. It's not that
0: they don't travel. Like, it makes sense if he's on the plane. It's weird that he's on the bus.
1: Well, yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, like, going to the games and stuff, I get traveling with the
0: team. Like, if you're on the team charter, it doesn't need to go,
1: you know, yeah, it's it's weird. It's really weird.
0: And to subject
1: yourself to that ridicule seems odd.
0: Was there any part of you that was like, uh, I really want to know what Scotty said when everybody's like, uh, Scotty crossed the line?
1: Oh, definitely.
0: <laughs> I was like, did he call him the C word? I oh, want. Did he call him the C word?
1: <laughs> I think, honestly, I'm not even sure that would have crossed the line for some of these folks. Like, I think that was in play. <laughs> the way that they're freely speaking on ESPN right now makes me feel like the C word was in play.
0: <laughs> Dude, if I have to say, and this is kind of silly, but... I just love that we've got Michael Jordan dropping F-bombs on the record. Yeah. Because
1: it feels more appropriate.
0: Yeah. well, okay. So you know he's like this like maniacal competitor, right? And this famous trash talker. But every time you hear him speak, he's like polished, button-ups, corporate spokesman, right? Uh-huh. And so it's like you know he is dropping F-bombs on everybody and you never hear it. And it makes me, it was just, it, it's always kind of frustrated me. I was like, that's not how Michael Jordan talks. I swear to you, I have met guys that are like a 10th as competitive as he is. That is not how those people talk.
1: Well, the best part is a lot of his, his interviews, he's got a, like a glass of scotch or whiskey or something next to him. And I like seeing that when they cut to him and it's like almost gone, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good quote. Because <laughs> that was a full glass in some of these interviews. <laughs> like a little bit looser. Just a little bit you looser. You can tell. You can tell it gets a little bit loose on there. Some of those uh, S's and stuff slurred just a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, which I
0: appreciate. I like seeing real Michael Jordan.
1: Yeah, he's like, I'm going to get liquored up for this one. <laughs> <laughs> you want to sit down, son. I'll tell you a story.
0: <laughs> uh, you know what's kind of funny? Like, I feel like he's become... And maybe this is just me. There was like a there was kind of a weird time after his retirement where kind of around his like Hall of Fame induction, where he basically just like roasted people. And there's kind of a time in that like period where you're like, he seems like a tough hang. You know, like he maybe doesn't seem like that fun to be around. And then he got married to his now wife, his which is his second wife. Uh-huh. And It seems like she has just like chilled him out a ton. Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't know if the timing is like a coincidence. Like maybe she was willing to marry him because he became a lot less of an a-hole or like she made him a lot less of an a-hole or what? how that works exactly. But
1: or maybe he just got old and. Yeah, maybe maybe just like his old juice is the same. I don't know. Like, yeah, there's. Well, well, it has, seems
0: like he's like become a lot more likable again as he's aged further into his retirement.
1: And, you know, if if I have to make a guess onto what actually did that, I'm going to go ahead and guess that uh, being a GM and an owner of the Hornets has humbled him quite a bit. <laughs> and he's like, maybe I'm going to dial it back just a little like when I played, i I was the best, and I think I'm still the best that I ever played and everything. but some of this other stuff is kind of hard. <laughs> uh, because you know, early in his career, he he made, I mean he's quoted in books as saying, number one, I'll be able to leave basketball and I don't want to do any of that stuff, which that's a lie. Uh, didn't quite work out that way. And number two is he thought he was going to go be a professional golfer because if he thought that was he was good enough without barely practicing, then if he actually practiced, he would easily be a professional golfer. And that turns out it's actually a lot harder than he thought um, as well. So I think he's had to have like – there was like this little bit of uh, frustration post-retirement that made him even more of an a-hole, and now he's kind of humbled and back down to reality –
0: I don't even know if it's like a humbling so much as just like a perspective on understanding like, oh, I was just that good at that one thing (laughs) and appreciating. It's like because if you're that good at anything, you probably just think you're the best at everything.
1: Well, and he was really good at a lot of stuff like he was a really good baseball player. He was a really good golfer. He was, you know, really good at a lot of stuff. He just wasn't. The best to ever do it at anything else.
0: Yeah, like to be clear, let's like he picked up a baseball bat for the first time in like fifteen years and hit above two hundred at double A.
1: Like I don't think people appreciate how hard that is. No, people don't. And like the Jordan like, rides the bus, uh thirty for thirty, whatever. Yeah. Francona says he was on his way up, said he was getting called up, and he's went back to basketball. Like he yeah, did it. that.
0: He was playing a lot better in that fall league. Yeah. Um before he went back to basketball uh the year before he went back to basketball and it was listen, I'm not saying he would have been a, a superstar at baseball or whatever. I think he would have been successful if at whatever athletic endeavor he chose if he had chosen at 18. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. I feel like you definitely would have figured it out just because of the work ethic, but to pick up a like I I did a adult baseball league when i was like 25 and i had probably swung a bat regularly until i was 20 21 so i'd taken three four five years off somewhere in there Hmm. and i couldn't hit at all like i could still throw could still catch still i did i did some pitching in this adult league this is like an adult rec league right not double a baseball i was 25 much less further removed from that than michael jordan was and like i couldn't hit worth anything like it was so hard to get the timing back and to not pick up a bat since you're in high school basically i think i don't think he even played baseball in high school competitively like i don't think he played baseball on the high school baseball team i think he quit before high school i think he was 14 when he stopped playing baseball was he yeah it's like right around that high school i think it was 14 15 and so yeah. you're talking at least 15 years that he just is not competitively swinging a baseball bat and then he's like dope i'm in double a and not drowning like he wasn't good but he wasn't drowning
1: no, like he's not as bad as the one little clip on Space Jam makes him look. Like he was better than that. You know what I mean? Like like Jim like Rome is burning, just gave him one burn. Like that was a bad day.
0: <laughs> Dude, there are guys that have played baseball their entire life and been really good through college who cannot hit 200 at Double-A. Like that's a real thing. Yeah. Guys that were highly successful at the Division 1 college baseball level cannot hit 200 at, like, A ball, much less double A. Like, that's crazy.
1: It's incredible. It's incredible. But, you know, it's like you said, that work ethic stuff. It's like, I mean, uh, you uh, you got these guys speaking to it like crazy. Like, just the stories of him at North Carolina where it's like he walked in and they were like, yeah, you know, he's pretty good, you know, but he's nowhere near the best player on this team. And they're like, within two weeks, he was the best player on this team. Like, that's how fast he turned this, you know. I was so like, holy
0: smokes. I want to touch on that. And, and that's the last thing I have um, for this week. Um, and if you've got anything else, we can hit that as well. But so going back to him back in North Carolina, or I want to go all the way back to him in high school, actually, because like mm-hmm. that, there's that legend, right? Like, oh, Michael Jordan got cut from his high school team,
1: which, yes, it's
0: which number one, he got cut from varsity. He still played JV.
1: Okay. Yeah, he was a sophomore who played on the J V squad like which you're is supposed to at sophomore. Where
0: most sophomores play. <laughs> yeah.
1: The it, other well, thing, in which today's, I didn't know. In today's world, you play he <laughs> plays on a sophomore team because there's a freshman team, an A and a B, and then juniors play on the J V. Yeah, the reserves. We call them
0: just, reserves. Yeah. It was our sophomore team, was our reserves team. Yeah. Um and so that's the that's misconception number one. It's not like he sat out of Europe high school Bath. He just played J V like all the other sophomores. Number two, I didn't realize he was only 5'10 or 5'11 as a sophomore. Like, that makes a big difference, and that makes it make way more sense. Yeah,
1: I did know that.
0: Because it's like he was 5 – call him 5'11. It's like, okay, yeah, so he's a
1: small kid. He's he's like, yeah, he's like everybody else, and except for he's skinnier and younger than all the seniors that are trying out for the same team. Like, of course he's not going to play.
0: So that makes – and people always go to that and like it's this huge thing and this huge it's like he was a 5'10 kid that got cut from a basketball that did that guy, that played JV instead of varsity that's what actually happened yeah and then he grew to be like 6'2 6'3 and you're like oh that makes way more sense like he hit puberty basically <laughs> you
1: know what i mean like yeah and then he was like really uh, as a junior they were like oh yeah this kid can play and then as you know he was really good and and then as a senior he was Uh, super stud and (laughs) went to north carolina
0: other thing i want to cover is he got invited there there's this seems to be because starting with that myth that he didn't like got cut from his high school team Mm
1: -hmm.
0: there seems to be this thought that he was this under the radar unheralded prospect that north carolina kind of threw a pity offer to. That is also not the case. You heard Roy Williams say on the documentary night, he was one of the best basketball players in the country. He played, if I'm not mistaken, in the McDonald's All-American game. He was under the radar when he first went to the North Carolina camp that they mentioned. He was pretty unheralded at that point. But by right, the time that was
1: his... after his junior year.
0: Yes, but by yeah. the time his high school career was over, he was considered one of the best prospects in the country he was an all-American yes so it's not like he was some like two-star walk-on that North Carolina is like oh we'll throw this kid in our backyard a bone
1: no he was I mean he, he was, was a, a stunt, late bloomer he was a late bloomer sure for sure but of course everything in that time was a little bit behind what it is today um but he was you know he's probably still considered a little bit of a late bloomer on the recruiting circuit but someone that he had offers he had choices uh, yeah yeah
0: it, it's not like and that seems so that I just wanted to touch on that because that seems to be like a very popular thing and I've even read that in books that they call like that North Carolina only offered him because he was a North Carolina kid and it's like they
1: they only they, offered him an invite to that camp
0: I <laughs> say they brought him to the camp. Only because he was a North Carolina kid, because he was mostly an unknown at that point. But that is by, like, by the time he was done with high school, anybody in the country would have wanted him. Yeah. And it just seems like that gets misconstrued all the time. And part of it goes into that people want to over-glorify the work ethic part of his career Which, listen, he was the hardest worker anybody's ever seen ever anyway, so I don't know why we need to glorify that even more. Right. The reason he's the best basketball player of all time is because he was the most talented person and the hardest working person. I think people want to take this and be like, oh, if you're some scrub, if you work hard enough, you can turn into Michael Jordan. No, if you're like a super, super talented person and work harder than everybody else, (laughs) then you can turn into Michael Jordan.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, I think part of it, I actually think it might be the op, you know, a little different angle, where it's like people almost want to humanize him. Yeah, that's what be, I mean. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. So it's just like, it's not... He was a superhuman athlete,
0: and then he worked harder than everyone else.
1: Yeah, like the athletic freak show stuff, you see it everywhere. There's a lot of those guys, even in the league now, that just don't have any of the skill. But it's like Magic said, it's like he had all this crazy physical athleticism you can't teach anybody anyway yeah and then he had incredible footwork fundamentals and skill that he worked his butt off every day for and he put them together and you get the best basketball player that ever lived. like it's not i mean that's not a complicated recipe all of a
0: it's a really difficult recipe because a you have to start off by winning the genetic lottery and then b you have to be just a psychopath basically to work that hard yeah. But it's not a complicated recipe, and it's also not like a rags-to-riches story in terms of, like, that's what, like, the getting cut in high school and whatever all makes it seem like. The
1: Scottie Pippen story is way more rags-to-riches on it. I mean, way it's not, more. Just, not just in the financial part where it was literally rags-to-riches. Literal rags to riches. Literal rags I'm talking riches. about, the dude played NAIA basketball at Central like, Arkansas. And he was, like, six one. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he grew five inches while in college, and people were like, oh, my gosh. This guy's like way better than he should be for central Arkansas. And the craziest part is at that time he didn't even leave. In today's <laughs> world, he's gone. Boy's gone. The best, right. That's like the
0: like with Michael Jordan. Like maybe he comes back for the sophomore year, because that's where they talk about the big jump. But he's certainly caught not coming back for year three.
1: Yeah. No.
0: Like Scottie Pippen stayed all four years at Central Arkansas. Oh, d-
1: well, two things, Dean Smith had to talk him out of coming back for his senior year. He's like, dude, it's too easy for you. You need to leave, okay? This is, <laughs> it's dumb. It's dumb for you to stay. <laughs> the Scotty Pippen thing, I'm not even saying gone to the draft. I'm saying he's not at Central Transfer. Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's he was definitely transferred, transferred to a to real school. And Arkansas. Then... Even. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah.
0: The the Scottie Pippin's. But again, no matter how hard Scottie Pippen worked, he didn't work himself into a six inch growth spurt.
1: No. Like and it just he happened. Still, and he still didn't work himself into Michael Jordan. He watched Michael Jordan do stuff every day and still couldn't catch him. I mean. Yeah. And that's not even a knock on Scotty's
0: work ethic. It's just like no. Jordan had all of the physical ability. And yes, he took 100% advantage of it. And that credit goes to him. But like he still hit the genetic lottery.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, man, I wonder if like. If Steph Curry just worked out crazy this whole quarantine, if he could come back just dunking on people. And I was like, no, he still couldn't do it. Like, genetically, Have it's just not there for him.
0: Have you seen Dell? I mean, come
1: on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because that's you know that was a teaser for next week is the bad boy stuff. you know. And Jordan's like, I want to do. I didn't want to get pushed around anymore. I wanted to inflict the pain. And I was like, if Steph took on that mindset, he still couldn't do it. And that's no, not a knock on step.
0: He, that was not the that was, that was not the DNA he was given.
1: Right, and so it's like.
0: And I'm not talking about DNA like culture. I'm talking about like like literal DNA in like his body,
1: in his body. Yeah, <laughs> cells.
0: Like he and wasn't. Stuff. He wasn't born with that. That's cool. He was born yeah. with supernatural hand eye coordination. Yeah. Which and like the but ability to repeat that motion, which is yeah. a different kind of athleticism like his body control is impressive in a different way he doesn't have the explosive athleticism but he has like that body control athleticism Mm -hmm. which is another thing like we've both seen guys that are super fast and can jump super high that cannot control their body in any other way
1: no and so
0: like there's different kinds of athleticism right and like michael jordan just had all of them
1: he just had all of them and the work ethic because there's a and lot of then guys. Then you worked
0: work- harder than anybody in the yeah. history of
1: mankind. So it's just, I mean, and that's not again not knocking anybody here, but you have to put it in perspective. Like this dude has some gifts. I mean, there's just some things that that we can't explain yeah. except for the fact that he's you can't different. Work than else.
0: ethic, your way into that's all right. I'm saying. And well, I feel yeah. like that's part of the Michael Jordan myth. And I feel like he he feeds into that myth because it sells sneakers, right? Like, oh, if you wear the right shoe and you do whatever and you work hard enough, like, you can be Michael Jordan.
1: He knows
0: you can't be Michael Jordan.
1: He knows that. You're telling me no matter what I put in that Gatorade squeeze bottle, I'm not turning into Michael Jordan? Listen, he
0: has seen a couple different people. Number one, Kobe Bryant, who maybe wasn't as physically gifted as him, but certainly had if not the work ethic, the closest thing we've ever seen who could only get to like 90% of Michael Jordan. And then you've got LeBron James, who is like the biggest physical freak show we've ever seen, who I don't know what his, obviously he works hard, but I don't know what it's like in terms from like comparing to Michael Jordan. And like, he's just sort of getting in the conversation, you know, like that's, (laughs) he's seen the biggest freak shows to come along since him. Not get that close. He knows that some white kid in South Dakota buying Jordans ain't gonna
1: get there. How dare you? That felt personal. That got personal. We were talking a lot of just like abstract, <laughs> and I made it real, abstract, real, for and you, you made it real personal. Wow, that was that cut me. That cut me. <laughs> you cut me, Mick. Do we need to go into your heritage?
0: <laughs> Listen, there ain't no five nine half Indian kids making it to the NBA either. Like I know that.
1: Oh, man. There's that's none crazy. in the major
0: leagues either. My shoulder's made out of tissue paper. <laughs> I got no misconceptions about my okay. genetic gene pool. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I, yeah. This is – some of that stuff, it's going to be – I just think that's what's going to be good is I think people are going to get a better idea of what – um, and, and reminded, not just a better idea, but just reminded of what – who he was and how – unbelievable he was and how just you can't you can't you well, say you can't work ethic your way into it you can't just comprehend it on some other level there's no there's no actual comparison to him there's not um um it, do you have anything
0: else before we wrap up
1: no i'm just real. i mean really excited i guess uh they say that rodman the rodman episode is episode three which
0: that should um, be fun because he was on the bad boys and then he was on the second three P, which it seems like bad boys are coming up now,
1: right? So uh, yeah, so I yeah, it seems like those two things are going to get hit um, at least in episode three, if not some in episode four, um, and we're going to continue. It seems like that ninety seven ninety eight story arc is going to go over the course of all ten episodes. You're going to get pieces of it as they work their way yeah. through. But also, that's like the, the
0: overarching theme. Yeah, and then each episode also dives deep into like the run that Super got them to ninety seven ninety eight.
1: Yeah. Um, So that's going to be good. Um, And, you know, uh, after America just saw Tiger King, um, Dennis Rodman is maybe going to (laughs) feel tame or at least at home. Uh, (laughs) I'm excited because I remember
0: seeing some of the stuff that Dennis Rodman did and being like, huh, that's weird. (laughs) And not really like putting it in the context of like, okay, this is the – third best player on the best basketball team we've ever seen, and he's wearing a wedding dress. I don't what's happening
1: here. Well, forget that. They got him off of – they would go pick him up off of his benders and he would still play and contribute. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Is <laughs> Hey,
0: that was a team thing. MJ would do that too. No, I'm just
1: <laughs> Not quite the same.
0: <laughs> no, they were different benders. Those were gambling benders, not yeah, those, those are ever. A little
1: different. No, whatever. whatever. Not the whatever stuff. I mean, like I'll. I mean, I'll throw the spoiler out there. In Phil Jackson's book, he talks about it. they send him. They let him go for like a week or ten days to blow off steam, and then bring him back because they know you can't keep him cooped up for that number of months. So they <laughs> they plan out the breaks so that uh, he doesn't blow up when they need him. Uh, it's it's he it's going to be the most interesting thing and stuff that we're going to look at and go that was that was professional sports like. Somebody was really doing that. Unbelievable.
0: Also, a guy that I don't think ever played higher than Juco basketball is either Juco or NAIA and was like the best rebounder in the league for a decade.
1: Yeah, I think uh, – yeah, it's one of those two. It's not Southwest
0: both. Oklahoma State, I believe, is where he came out of, but I don't know if that's a Juco or an NAIA or if yeah. he went to both.
1: I, I want to say I remember NAI, but Juco doesn't sound that far fetched. Um,
0: but he, he was not like even come for-
1: out of there clean because he ended up no. working at an airport. Yeah, they picked yeah. him up out of an airport luggage rack.
0: Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, <Okay>, you're tall.
1: Because <laughs> hey, he, he, I believe he had his growth spurt post college.
0: I believe that's right.
1: Um, so all these guys are kind of, we're kind of hearing this weird story. It's kind of this trend. Um, I don't know if there's any. Anything anything here, even even uh, even Michael
0: Jordan grew three more inches in North Carolina,
1: yeah, so I don't know if we've got like I don't know if there's something in that or if it's just coincidence, but yeah these guys all all three of these guys have this unique uh storyline where they kind of were late bloomers so to speak um obviously Michael being the most uh normalized version of it, but uh they were a little late to the party and then they they had a party.
0: Maybe the maybe the government was like testing nukes in the atmosphere or something when they were growing up It, like stunted their growth for a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wish they would have done that over <laughs> South Dakota. I guess.
0: <laughs> Listen, I think you. I think, they
1: got you, a little boost. I think <laughs>
0: you ended up in the best case scenario in terms of being six three. I've seen your dad. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, there's
0: Jeff is not a tall man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Listen, I did, too. My dad's 5'3", and I ended up 5'9". Like that was my best case scenario. Bless up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're, uh, we're going to put a bow on uh, this one uh, right there. We'll be back next week for episodes three and four. And uh, you can find this anywhere your podcasts are played. You can find me on Facebook, Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula, on Instagram or Twitter, at Lula. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week.